You are listening to CMM, Children Matter Most on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. $50,000, the cost to immunize 1,000 children against measles, mumps, and rubella. $350,000 per minute, the cost per minute of the war in Iraq. Join me at the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Jay Berkelhammer. Dr. Berkelhammer is the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. He is Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs of Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and a clinical professor of pediatrics at Emory University School of Medicine. Today, we are discussing healthcare financing and the crisis in pediatric healthcare financing. Dr. Berkelhammer, what is the Academy's number one legislative issue in the coming year? The Academy's number one legislative issue in the coming year is the reauthorization of the state child health insurance plan. And I understand that all we're really asking for, and I know that's sort of a silly way of saying it is, but $50 billion more over five years can cover 6 million more uninsured children. Why is it so difficult to get this money authorized? It escapes me. You know, we were able to mobilize somewhere in excess of $400 billion for the Medicare Part D program. And this is a very small amount of money to spend, considering how important it is for every child to get health care. We have 9 million children that are uninsured in this country. When you think about how penny-wise and dollar-foolish it is not to invest in children to make sure that they get the health care they need. It just really escapes me as to why we haven't done it and done it right. Now, one of the problems is children are disproportionately living in poverty in this country. The 25% of all the children in this country have their health care paid for through the Medicaid or the S-CHIP program. And uh, in many states, it's more than 50%. In my own state, Georgia, over half of the children are funded through public programs. And these public programs never seem to pay what it costs to care for the child. The reimbursement level for Medicaid across the country is about two-thirds of what it is for Medicare. And Medicare, let me tell you, most doctors who are caring for adults find it a burden to accept the Medicare payment rate. I understand that Medicaid pays only 70% of the Medicare value for pediatric services and only 56% of commercial rates for an office visit. It seems like this can really result in a crisis in accent with fewer and fewer physicians participating. Well, you know, it puts the physician in a untenable situation because in many communities there are so many children who are funded through these programs that they really have to monitor and control the level of children with this type of insurance coming to their office Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to make payroll and keep their office open. We have examples of physicians around the country that have had to close their office because there are not enough families who are coming with insurance that will pay the costs to help subsidize those that are coming through the government programs. Health care is on every single presidential candidate's platform. In addition to S-CHIP, are there other health care financing issues that are on the Academy's plate for the coming year or two? Yes. The Academy really has a, a four-pronged approach to this issue. Number one, 
there were things done in the Deficit Reduction Act in the last congressional session that need to be fixed. This has to do with eligibility enrollment requirements and the language that was introduced around the EPSDT program. That's the Early Periodic Screening and Diagnosis and Treatment Program that stated that those benefits would be quote-unquote wraparound benefits to existing private plans. That's a, a terrible thing to have done because it really puts the scope of benefits for children, comprehensive benefits, in jeopardy. And so those things need to be fixed. So the, the Medicaid program needs to be fixed. The S-CHIP program needs to be reauthorized. The third thing that needs to be done is that the Academy's Medicids bill, which is a Medicare-like system, a fail-safe system for children whose families are not able to use SHIP, Medicaid, or private insurance to assure all children get health care. That's to cover the other 3 million children who would not be covered if the S-CHIP program is not reauthorized. And then finally, the fourth initiative is that the Academy, as these programs go forward, is working hard to assure that the reimbursement problems are addressed, that the payment levels are such that the programs actually give the kids the care they need. You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and my guest today is Dr. Jay Berkelhammer, President of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and we are discussing health care financing. There are a number of different models for paying for health care in the coming years, consumer-based systems or consumer-driven systems, single-payer systems. You wear two hats. You're president of the American Academy of Pediatrics and senior vice president of medical affairs of Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. How would you like to see healthcare financing organized and paid for? First of all, I want to see universal health insurance. Every child deserves to have health insurance. There has to be a fail-safe system which makes sure that 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 actually happens. The Academy's Medicaid's bill, which I just mentioned previously, is an example of how we can get there. I do believe at this point in time that the public wants, and I believe the professional community will accept, a system where there is a mix of public and private. I don't believe that the general public is ready for a single-payer system at the federal level. We may evolve there over time, but I think the concern about the way the current government programs are working from the perspective of the families, the reimbursement levels from the perspective of the physicians lead us to say that at this point in time, what we really need is a mixed public-private system but one that assures that every child gets insurance. One of the things I have a problem with is, as I've read, the states have two years to utilize their unspent funds. Isn't that sort of the old use-it-or-lose-it mentality? And why not allow them to create future plans? I think that flexibility at the state level is something that people want. And I think we're seeing a lot of things around the country where individual states are going down paths where They are attempting to create universal insurance plans, such as Massachusetts and Illinois and California. And we will see in the coming years some successful models, and maybe those will become ones that will eventually become the the standard for the entire country. But 
I think at this point in time, we're still looking to the states to try and develop models that will work best. Are you concerned that we're going to develop a multi-tiered system of health care? There'll be the basic plan, but then those who are able to, who have the finances, will buy additional benefits, and that this could really tilt the balance of the way our resources are utilized? Every child really needs to have what I consider to be basic, but basic includes comprehensive benefits, immunizations, a medical home. Those are basics. And quite frankly, once you've achieved that level of basics, there's not a whole bunch more that needs to be piled on top of that. So there will always, I believe, be people of greater means who can somehow seek out something additional and more than what would be included in an insurance plan. But if we give children what they need, I don't think I would be concerned about a multi-tier system, particularly if it's a program that is designed for children. Previously, you mentioned mental health services. What needs to be expanded? Well, mental health needs to be put on parity with physical health. The idea that somehow things above the neck get reimbursed at a lower level, if it's the eyes, the ears, or the brain, Somehow people feel, well, maybe we shouldn't be paying for eyeglasses, maybe we shouldn't be paying for children who have hearing problems or speech problems, or we shouldn't be paying for children who have mental problems. I mean, all of that, mental health and physical health, need to be looked at as issues relating to a child's well-being, and ultimately we have got to pay what it costs to care for all of those kinds of problems. And we will save money in the long run because those children will grow up and they'll become productive citizens, contributing members of our society. If we don't do it, they'll end up becoming burdens to our society for the rest of their lives. I had the wonderful opportunity of talking with Dr. Margaret Bowman several weeks ago regarding autism, and she made exactly that same point, that we have to invest in the future. And I think it's wonderful that the American Academy of Pediatrics is taking such a strong stand, and certainly that's why I continue to pay my dues every year. Well, we look forward to your dues payment every year as well, and I think every pediatrician should see that as a voice for their interests and should see the Academy as a vehicle for promoting the things that they hold dear. How would you like your presidency to be remembered? How would you like you to be remembered as the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics? I think I'd like to be remembered as somebody who ran my leg of the race strong and carried the baton. This is a long race. There's a baton that we pass off one to another, and each of us, as we enter our career in medicine, want to leave the world a better place and to, if we're pediatricians, leave children healthier than they were before. So if I could be remembered as somebody who did my share to advance the needs of kids, I will be very, very pleased. That's very modest for all that you've done. I would have said universal health coverage for every child in a secure medical home. Yes, but you know what? That's not going to be accomplished by one person. That's going to be accomplished by all of us working together, saying the the things that are needed to be said and convincing people of how important it is that we invest in children. Have you found that the strong stand the Academy has done has resulted in maintaining our membership or perhaps even increasing membership? Well, our retention rate is 95%, which is very good. It could be 100%, but we have 85% of all the pediatricians in the country are members of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Nearly 100% of all doctors in training 
are now members of the American Academy of Pediatrics. We have seen an upsurge of young members in the academy. I believe anybody who goes into the field of pediatrics ought to and most all of us do see the pediatrics as their professional home. I certainly do, and I'm very proud of the Academy. Again, I just can't say over and over again what a terrific organization it is that it maintains a standard. In fact, I really think of the Academy as the voice for children, and without it, children would just continue to suffer great iniquities in our health care system. I would like to thank Dr. Jay Berkelhammer, who has been my guest, and we have been discussing healthcare financing. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.